Uh, I'm going to get straight into um, introductions here. It is my absolute privilege to introduce Terry Walling to you. Come up, Terry. Terry's with his beautiful wife, Robin. When, when Mark was saying earlier, where are the old men who could tell us what to do? No, it's a compliment in that. Yeah. Wise, wise men. Right. So, no, I actually mean it. <laughs> I actually mean it. Yeah. So this man yeah, has... Yeah, right. shush, I'm talking. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to speak highly enough of this man. He'll, he will bless you this afternoon. But what you have here is a man who has lived what he's about to talk about deeply, mm. who has spent 40 years... Um, in leadership development, 30 years coaching leaders. Between him and his mentor, they've studied over 5,000 leaders, biblical, historical, contemporary, that God has used to make a significant difference in the church or missions or in the kingdom in their lifetime. And in doing so, have identified key phases of development that God takes an individual through in the innermost places to prepare them for that work. So his articulation is an absolute gift. You're an absolute gift being here, as is Robin. And so um, if you just want to give him a round of applause and he will bless you. Uh, I hate build-ups, you know. They raise that bar really high. Uh, And... I think this is actually payback a little bit because uh, last four or five years, some of you may know this or not, I brought Mark over to teach uh, with me at Fuller Seminary. And I noticed when I got the schedule for this conference that I was always given the one o'clock after lunch, you're completely full, already have your brain completely jammed with Sayerisms. <laughs> and welcome, Terry. And then I realized I always gave him the one o'clock slot at Fuller. Yeah, yeah, that great Australian way. Anyways, um, bottom line is the honor of being here with you at Red um, and to actually just spend this time together. Uh, I need to tell you, because you don't do this very well, I need to tell you, you, those of you who attend Red have a great staff. You have some of the best. Yeah, yeah. And you say, oh, it's just me in America. And no, no, I'm not. I've been all around the world to see different leaders, different situations. They didn't want me to say this kind of stuff. But you've got some of the best. And, <clears throat> and I think we ought to honor them. That's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah. And, and the thing that I love the most is having journeyed and walked with Mark uh, through quite a few years to watch God do the work he was just talking about. So uh, that's why we said absolutely we've got to come. But 30 years ago, almost to the day, we were in a place called Orange County, California, and we were packing our bags to come to some place like Australia. Not someplace like Australia, we were coming to Melbourne. And uh, Robin and I, and our 18 month, and our four year old, and our six year old, and me being 36, and her being way younger, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Way younger. Uh, off on a plane. I told some of, some of the people, I told the kids they could take anything toy-wise if they wanted as long as they could get it in their backpack. So we stood in immigration line and their backs were breaking because of these backpacks of all this stuff that they could carry and bring uh, with them. And uh, <clears throat> we actually entered into uh, an opportunity to serve them. Now, the quick lead-up to that, I don't know if it will be quick or not, but I was not going to do the ministry thing. That was what my sister was going to do. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, folks that loved Jesus, tried to actually follow him, took us to church, all of that. And I was going to play the American sport called baseball. That was the dream, and make a lot of money. That was the other dream. And my sister was going to actually uh, be the missionary. And how it's worked out is she married a guy with a lot of money, and I'm the missionary. Just to let you know how that all works out. And, and the reality is I wasn't going to do this. So in university, that's when God got a hold of me and said, is this your parents' faith or is it your faith? Stripped everything clean of my life that I held of any value. And actually then he asked me the question, so now what do we do? At that moment, I actually banked on that heritage and surrendered. And so out of that, I actually said, oh, no, though, this is not going to be funny if you make me do that ministry thing. Well, I ended up pastoring the church I grew up in. Please groan with me or something, all right? I end up having my dad on our church board. Mm. Been to counseling, I'm all right, um, I think. And I end up having my mom be my secretary. Ah, ah. I've said this before in some other deals, but the greatest part about that was having her walk by my uh, bedroom her whole life and making comments and me walking by her desk, which was an utter mess, <laughs> and being able to say to your mother, Doris, clean up your desk and then walk into my office. It was very... Very therapeutic. <clears throat> and, and yet, and I thought we had it figured out till all of a sudden God took a quick left turn and here we were on a 747 that in those days took 23 hours to get here and we landed in Australia. Now, in true good American fashion, I had come over to change the world. Look at the person next to you say, at least he knows that Americans are like that. Just say that. At least he knows. <laughs> I came over to make a difference. And we had jumbo jets following us of Americans coming in. We had recruited a team to come down to see to do everything we could to try to help revitalize or help with the planting of new churches to get alongside. Leadership development being the key in both of those. And after I got here, only about a month or so, I started uh, to actually hit the wall in terms of exhaustion, laid down one night, and all of a sudden had this incredible dream. I don't um, know about you, how God speaks to you, but up to that point in time, um, being a Baptist that had actually kind of moved 
and was open to God's work, this was a new thing. And the reason I knew it was different is because it was like Technicolor. It just was bright. And it was all about a 747 landing on a freeway. And it was all about the whole thing of, of us trying to escape that and me running ahead and Robin holding our kids running and my father standing there and going, hmm, end of dream. My conclusion, bad pizza. That's all this is. Another dream, this time about a big truck that had all this stuff loaded in it and me not being able to stop it and it careening off the cliffs and me waking up. And then third dream, a couple nights later. And in those... In that dream, it was unbelievable, because in that dream, we were on one of those ferry boat car things that carry. I was downstairs with my son, and he was small, running all around, which he tends to do and tended to do even back then. And he actually, yes, I did make a comment about him now anyways, but anyways, he, he actually was running all around, and I was trying to convince this fellow next to me, that we shouldn't open the big plank door because if the ferry boat is going, the water would come in. And it was one of those very troublesome conversations. Don't open the door. I was trying to get out of my mouth as fast as I could as this guy was cranking it down and didn't see my son running, and he actually hit the side of a wall grabbed the planks on that wall, and what we didn't know, it was a door, and it flung open. And it shot him out into the water. And he was gone. And I don't mean gone. I mean gone. Wake up screaming. Ah! What is going on, God? Your timing is not good, whatever it is. Don't you realize I have people coming that are going to depend on me? What are you doing? Look at the person next to you and say, I don't know where this is going. Just say that. I don't know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing? The team comes and has its first team meeting. I'm supposed to lead them. I have actually been used by God to convince them they should uproot all of their families and come out here. And here's the opening speech. I'm sorry, I'm such a mess. I don't know what's going on. I can't do it in here. Is that me? It was a mess. Hmm. See, what I didn't realize is something that through the years now, I've begun to realize. And when you study lots of leaders, what I began to understand is this is how God shapes leaders over time. That personal renewal precedes and leads to corporate change. And that's what I want to talk to you about as, as kind of a dovetail in from what Mark's talked about. If something great is going to happen through us, 
something great has to happen in us. If you and I are going to go to a new place for him, we must go to a new place with him. If you and I are actually going to see God move in others' life, he must and we must allow him to move in our life. And it goes, you know, you can translate it several different ways, but what happens to the people, and in particular the leaders, is key to what can happen in and through the church. In fact, the key to those of you who are in red or those of you in other churches, the key to your church being able to move forward is what's actually your, where you're willing to go with him personally. Not necessarily where Mark and Sarah are willing to go, where you're willing to go. Personal renewal precedes and leads to corporate change. I'm not very smart. That's the one thing I took after five years going home. Because, see, when we tried to actually work with churches here, all of a sudden we realized that we were trying to change the structures. If you try to change the structures of a church, hoping that will bring renewal, you'll get a fight. You always will. If you start with the people first, then what begins to happen is renewal starts here. Those same people have to get into a conversation together. But as they move into that conversation, even if they still disagree, they now understand why that person is so committed to that because it actually was the net result of a runaway child that they had to actually rescue. Ah, I get that now. When I heard other stories, all of a sudden I began to realize I'm part of their story. And how can we do this together? History affirms that renewed people are used by God to renew people and change the church and impact the world. That's basically what you heard when Mark started the micro-macro talk, that it first must start with us. And it starts with prayer. And as God does his deeper work and cleanses and does his work in us, it starts to move out through us. So I want you to actually do something with me. I want you to put your pens down for a second, and I'd like for you to join me in a deeply, deeply prophetic song. Get your hands free. Yes, we're actually going to do this. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Hands free, everything. Come on, Gary. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. And we're going to sing this song, and I'm hoping some of you are lifers or have been around If you know this song, join me. If you know this song and you don't sing, something will happen to you. So if you you don't know the song, just hum. All right, here we go. It's a children's song, a very prophetic children's song. Here we go. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I think you're getting it. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Once more, here we go, deep and wide. This is afternoon session, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You got it. 
Deep and wide and deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Hey! All right. Excellent. This is what you do in the afternoon session. You don't do it in the morning. You know, we're walking back and forth on the platform, <laughs> sharing things. Afternoon, now nah, we're singing. All right, so let me just ask you a question. How does the fountain flow? See, we're not very deep in the afternoon, too, all right? How does it flow? Deep and why? Say it one more time. How does that fountain flow? You are only going to be able to take a thing deep, I mean wide, if you're able to take it deep. The breadth of your ministry is tied to the depth of your intimacy. Your ministry can go deep, and it will have an impact on how wide it goes to others. This is why in America, with all of our seminars and conferences, we go around and we buy and exchange notebooks. And then people take it home, and it doesn't work in their church because they haven't gone on the journey that produced those insights. In fact, it's just like when Peter and John hit those deals and they, hey, Agabus, remember coming up? We want some of that. How do I buy what just happened? Peter says, you can't buy that. Okay. You better better listen to that one, all right? Boom, I'm liking it. We have sound effects in the afternoon too, all right? That's good. The breadth of your ministry is tied to the depth of your intimacy. In fact, that's what it says in Mark chapter 3 when it said Jesus called the disciples to come be with him. And he said in Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15, come be with me, then go minister for me, and then you will have the authority to drive out demons. Hmm. Psalm chapter 78, David shepherded them with skillful hands and with integrity of heart, he led them. Hmm. In fact, most of us who have been in, are in this room are doing some type of ministry. Look at the person next to you and tell them, by the way, I've noticed you are pretty good in your heart for God in ministry. Just say that to the person next to you. Just say, I noticed you've been, I know you don't like to play this game, but anyway, just say it. All right? But now look at them and say, but you're not that good. Just say, but you're not that good. Yeah. You are not that good. That's because, actually, this thing is designed to be a two-track formation. Being and doing. Together. It operates down two tracks, intimacy and influence. It operates simultaneously being and doing. And when you go deeper with him, something happens to you 
He grants to you a spiritual authority that you do not own, can't possess, and do not have. It's his presence. And for the men and women who are willing to go to a new place with him, he then gives to them a new authority to minister for him. Deep and wide. Come be with me, then go minister for me, and you will have the authority to drive out demons. So when you study 5,000 historical, biblical, and contemporary leaders, you begin to realize that God is in the process of shaping each of our lives. Here's what you learn. Leadership is influence, not position. Leadership is influence, not position. I know the American view of leadership and Aussie view of leadership is different. I've lived here. But the reality that when you start talking about kingdom leadership, kingdom leadership is not about the position. It's about the influence. In fact, the essence of leadership is influence. And how do I know that? The one who had the greatest influence had no position. That's the one we're following. So the reality of our journey with him is the fact that out of our influence comes the capacity to actually see God do a greater work in and through us in the expansion of his kingdom. Now, leadership is influence, but influence is actually tied to something called spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is God's fragrance on your life. Spiritual authority has to do with his presence coming to your life. Now, spiritual authority is actually tied to something called character. Character. In other words, what God is doing internally inside of you, being able to be expressed externally as you minister for him, character. So you have influence, spiritual authority, and you have the issue of character. And you're going to love this next line. Guess how character is formed? In many ways, but it's often formed through pain and wounding. Look at the person next to you said he could have gone all day without saying that. Just say that. <laughs> Pain and wounding. So what typically begins to happen in an individual's life is that they want to have an influence for Jesus. And so they actually step out and try to serve him in unique ways. We find out that influence is tied to spiritual authority. Presence and fragrance on Jesus. By the way, you don't know you have that. That's a byproduct. So if you don't go to Jesus, you'll probably end up thinking you can still lead because you're going to now lean on your natural abilities and your acquired skills. And guess what? You will produce fruit. And John 15 tells us it is fruit that will not remain. Look at the person next to you and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, it'll look good? It'll seem right? 
18-month shelf life, it's gone. So spiritual authority ties to character. And character ties to pain. Not always, but pain and wounding. So it goes kind of like this. And this looks like your life is doomed. (laughs) It does. It looks like, oh my goodness. I'm worse than the people I'm trying to help. Probably true, by the way. Oh, you may look really good. You may wash really good. There is something called a religious false self. But if you address your stuff, what begins to happen? God builds your character. As he builds your character, he gives you something you can't buy. His presence. And as you have his presence, guess what happens? You actually see greater influence. So being and doing are designed to go together. All being, folks, is mysticism. All doing, folks, is fundamentalism. Rules, regulations. The integration of those two is spiritual authority. So why is Terry telling you this? There's a good possibility as we move into renewal that God is going to start telling you to do something as you pray. And you're going to think the power comes only from those deep, quiet moments with him. The power comes when who you are actually steps out and begins to do what he's called you to do. And together, they create a spiritual authority that changes the world. It's not either or, or even both and. It's one being and doing. Turn to the person next to you and just, what's standing out to you? Just a second. Just person next to you. What are you hearing in this? Ready? Go.
Discipleship is about transformation, not information transfer. Discipleship is about new behavior. Discipleship is about alignment, aligning your life with his. It's interesting, when they couldn't find Jesus... Where was he often? Off with the Father. John 5 tells us that he was actually surrendering to the Father, and the Father showed the Son what he was doing. Get ready for this. The prize of surrender is revelation. The prize of surrender is revelation. As you align, he reveals. But if you choose to not go deep, there's a good possibility, like it says in Jeremiah 17, you won't see the prosperity when it comes. That has nothing to do, like the American preachers have made it, into financial gain. You won't see the presence of God when he moves, even though he's moving. We typically are educated way beyond our level of obedience. Look at the person next to you and say, he is now talking about you. Just say that. This is not a knowledge problem. This is a heart problem. Information goes after the cognitive and the mind and then tries to convince the heart. Transformation goes after the heart and it then gives you the capacities to actually now interpret what you're learning in the mind. Transformation is an issue of the heart. You at Red Church are right on topic. Renewal is an issue of God's deeper work in order for him to do his greater work. Love this quote, <clears throat> Mike Breen. When transformation occurs, there's an increasing hunger for more knowledge of Jesus and his word. And that's exactly right. By the way, you know this song, thy, some of you, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God shows you where you are, lamp. And the word of God shows you where you're going, Light. It reveals the current issues that you need to deal with, and it gives you insight in terms of the things that are ahead of you. But the primary focus of acquiring knowledge must be the ongoing renewal of the heart. Going to new places with God 
is actually a scary thing. Most of us would actually not prefer that to be the way. Now look at the person next to you. He is talking about you. Just say that he isn't. You won't be able to understand it all the time or control it. Our God is a God of truth. Our God is a God of of not chaos but order. But sometimes he has to offend the mind in order to get to the heart. Sometimes he could ask you to do things that oftentimes in earlier days would not make sense. But if you're going to get to the end and finish well and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you're going to have to change. And change requires choices. What's most important. When we think about all these leaders and how God has worked uh, in their life, there are the two tracks. When we study 5,000 historical, biblical, and contemporary leaders, the two tracks of being and doing. He's working on influence that is driven by intimacy. And by the way, how this usually works is As you respond to God, God begins to ask you to do something. By the way, Sarah and Mark, is it okay if I use the markers on the wall? Okay. I thought so. Great surface here, by the way. I'm going to find out how you get it to erase. But anyways, all right? It goes from being to doing. And what, what begins to happen is as you do, God all of a sudden throws you into a situation that typically you don't know what to do. Remember, you're good, but you're not that good. Oh, God, I'm in a mess. I'm in a church. I'm in a situation that will never turn around. Throws you to what? Greater dependency on him. If you respond to him, he gives you something else to do. And guess what? You're probably not like the Americans, but do you know the Americans say, well, thank you, God, I'll take it from there. Only to find out you're inadequate again. And it takes you down to greater dependency. Now, somewhere along the way, we have a problem. And that's you becoming a professional Christian. There's a possibility you could get to the stage that you know all of the answers to all of the questions, at least enough of them, and you know what to say when you're around other Christians, that you could actually live your Christian life and not need Jesus. Everybody say, hmm. Hmm. And by the way, better men and women than us have gotten to that stage more gifted, talented, or whatever. And God in and of himself is actually going to have to break in and do a new work in your life. So when Mark talked about that cycle, what we've noticed is that cycle goes around several times. 
you have may walk down that cycle only to come to the point again where you need to actually resurrender and go through the journey again of following him. But influence and intimacy, being and doing, actually takes us into a pathway of spiritual authority. Not either or, but both and. Because here's the point. It's not being in the world for God. It's being in God for the world. It's not I'm going to go do something great for God. God, do something great in me as I go. Both and. All right. Another neighbor nudge. By the way, uh, if you just talk about it, I mean, if you just sit here and listen to me talk, 18 to 20% retention. If you talk about it, it jumps to 60 to 80%. Therefore, in America, the worst moment of learning is usually Sunday from 10 to 12. Talk about what you're hearing. Ready, go. Just neighbor nudge. Neighbor nudge. Huh? Yeah. You gonna do something? That's next session. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. The principles we're talking about are in a whole area of study called 
leadership development or leadership emergence patterns. So the research I'm telling you about is what comes from 5,000, notice historical, biblical, and contemporary leaders. And it's learning from their lives. By the way, who's your biblical mentor? Who's the person in the Bible? Don't worry about the gender thing right now, but who's the person in the Bible that you're most drawn to? Another quick neighbor nudge. Yeah, I'm letting you talk a lot. This is amazing, all right? So with your partner, who are you drawn to the most? You probably have never thought that way, but in the reality, you're actually given a mandate in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8 to study leaders. We're actually commanded to study those who have actually walked the path before us and to remember their life, consider the outcomes, and imitate their faith. And the reason is because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The biblical mentor you're drawn to is probably touching some of the things God's trying to do in you. Study their lives. Start looking at their lives from a place of understanding how God has shaped their lives. Understand what happened and then do something about it and obey. So when we talk about leadership being influenced, we're talking about it not just shaped in your current situation. We're talking about it, how has God shaped you over your lifetime? Hmm. Through good and difficult. Through things you're proud of, things you're not. Through situations that went well, through situations you want to hide. How has God shaped you over your lifetime? Because discipleship never ends. Jesus never stopped discipling the disciples. It's shaped over time. And by the way, one of the key tools God uses over time is things like people, events, and circumstances. God is using the people of your life to shape your life. The church would be a great thing if it didn't have people. (laughs) Get a lot done. The only problem is it has people. He uses events in your life. He uses circumstances in your life. They're all shaping your influence. They're all shaping your capacity to live for him. It's shaped over time. It involves people. 
and their circumstances. It also, also involves the key chapters of our life. And those key chapters of our life basically help us understand some of the key circumstances of our life. And it's exercised through position. What we're supposed to do is understand our influence and actually then pick up position to exercise the influence. Position is still important, but when you live for position, that's culture. When you live for understanding intimacy and influence, that's kingdom. And your influence with your position is what gives you the capacity to actually show forth, like Mark said, the work he's doing in your life. And by the way, it's broken cisterns that show the most light. Look at the person next to you say, there's hope. (laughs) There's hope. It's almost the very things you want to hide that become actually the very things he uses. In fact, we get some of our greatest values and convictions from some of the stuff that has hurt the most. Never again, Lord. Or if possible, use me to see that nothing like that happens to others. Hmm. Over time, God does his work, fueled by spiritual authority, resulting in kingdom expansion. Cultures are changed, and we finish well. I've done a, a lot of these talks in lots of places I never dreamed ever of going. And it's interesting, when I ask believers, what do you want to hear Jesus say to you at the end of their life? Here, I wonder what they say. What would you say? There's a good chance you might say these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That comes from the parable of the talents, and that comes from the concept of stewardship. You are called to steward your life. There's never been a time God hasn't been at work shaping your life. Even in the difficult moments. The question is not, has God been at work? The question has, is really, what has he been at work doing? And the greater question is, do you have the courage to join him? in that work. You know, the things that Mark shared with us today, incredibly powerful. It's actually me just bringing language to it related to how God shapes us over time. But the reality is, he's done this, like Mark has shared some of the stories, in all sorts of places, with all sorts of people, in all sorts of time. Let me close the first session. We've talked about what he does. In the second session, I'm going to talk to you about how he does it. But let me share a final story with you before we break. Many of you may or may not know the name Borden. But in America, 
Um, Borden uh, stands for dairy products. Big, big industry built around the Borden, Jersey made. You know Americans, we can go on and on. But a lot of people don't know the name because of that. They know the name because the Borden parents actually uh, were murdered by their daughter. And what oftentimes people don't know is there was actually another Borden. In 1904, William Borden, brother to Lizzie, graduated from Chicago High School. As heir to the Borden fortune, he was already wealthy. For his graduation present, his parents, at 16, gave him a trip around the world. Look at the person next to you and say, yeah, that's what I got too. Just say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As the young man traveled through Asia, Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. On that trip, William Borden wrote home about his growing desire to actually become a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing away his life to become a missionary. In response to that, Borden wrote these two words in the back of his Bible, no reserve. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905 trying to look just like one of those normal freshmen. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him. And it wasn't that he had a lot of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead, far ahead spiritually of any of us. He's already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. And he's actually doing something about it. Strange. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry into his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. And that entry said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Hmm. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kanzu people in China. And he set fixed his eyes on a goal. And when he did that, Borden never wavered. Although he was a missionary upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down a high-paying job, gave away all of his wealth to serve in a missionary organization. I know what you're thinking right now. Wow, yeah, that's where this thing's going, this renewal thing. No, that's where it went for Borden. Because each of our lives are shaped over time. That's what it meant for him. I wonder what it means for you. In his Bible, after he had given away his entire fortune to the dismay of his family, he wrote the next line, no retreat. Hmm. He was hoping to work with the Muslims, but he first stopped in Egypt to study Arabic, and while there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within 25 months, the 25-year-old William Borden was gone. Gone. Many have heard of his story, and many know of his story. Forgive me just a second. I hit the wrong button. There it is. 
but a wave of sorrow hit many family and friends. Borden was dead. When the news of his death came, cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden had not only given himself up, but he'd also left an imprint he never thought he would have. Some have wrote that his death was untimely. Others have written that his death, from God's perspective, was right on time. Why so? His sacrifice and his life helped launch the student missionary movement. Then in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, sent thousands of missionaries around the world. It's interesting, when someone found Borden's Bible, there was one more entry. Underneath the words, no reserve, no retreat, he wrote, no regrets. Did you know that since time began, God has shaped you to do good deeds, which he authored before time began? And the discovery of those good deeds could change the world. Let's pray. Father, so many are in here hungry. I feel it. I sense it. I know it. It's easy to see. So many want to see their lives count. It's clear. It's on their faces. They've given up time to work on that. And yet each one of us realize it's actually potentially calling us to a new place. A place we've never been before. A place of going deeper with you. To new places of intimacy with And, Lord, in the midst of that, I just speak peace over that truth for my friends. That you who began this good work are still at work and will remain at work. Renewal does, Lord, first start with us. And as you speak, as you start putting your finger and spirit, your your hand, and even... The, the massage of your love on these, my friends, hearts and lives. Help them to realize that that work also creates a greater capacity to love you with their lives. Continue to speak to us, I pray, Spirit, in Christ's name.